Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rewired Podcast. I'm Kelly. Bailey's not with us today. She's with uh, baby Isaiah. But we have another guest. Eric Jones has joined us. I'm very excited. Once again, this is a Wire fan that we found through Twitter. And Eric, we have really loved following along with uh, the threads that you've been sharing lately on Twitter Seems like you've gone back to do kind of a deep dive, uh, rewatching in the last few weeks, and some really, re- really great observations that you've made. So, um, why don't you tell everyone about yourself, um, what you do, and how you came to be a fan of The Wire, and what keeps you coming back to the show? Well, thank you so much for uh, thank you, Kelly, for having me today. Um, yeah, just so uh, I'm so glad to have an opportunity to like speak with someone um, regarding uh, this show is just, it's my favorite, it's my favorite um, of all time. Um, and I've, I've watched it about, this is maybe about my fifth or sixth rewatch. Um, but um, just a little about, uh, about myself. Um, I was uh, born and raised in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, um, right now I'm, uh, I'm 36 years old and I'm a, um, I'm a billing. I work as a uh, billing analyst for a health insurance company uh, in Philadelphia. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm just a guy, you know, I'm just a guy, just uh, just a regular guy that loves this uh, that loves this show. Um, well, you're just like my sister and I then, because we're just two regular gals that <laughs> read the show, and we just really love talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look. It looks like, but you guys look like y'all, y'all, y'all do some. Y'all do some things and uh, like, <laughs> like, um, you know, if, if I, I love your, um, I, I, I love Rewired. Um, um, it gives me a perspective that I n- wouldn't have thought of um, when I, whenever I do rewatch the show. Um, I, I became a fan. I didn't watch The Wire when it was airing. Um, the first season was in 2002. I was in high school um, and I remember hearing friends talk about it, but I didn't really, um, I, I didn't really watch it um, at all. And then um, I didn't hear anybody talk about um, season two, but we know how a good amount of people feel about season two. Uh, yeah. Season three was 2004 and I was in college then. And I remember hearing people kind of talk about it, um, mostly when it, co- when it comes to um, the moment that we're going to be discussing today. Um, but it was season four that I heard a good amount of people um, speak on it um, quite, you know, quite a lot. And season four is considered um, the high point. And then when when the uh, final season was announced, um, I actually went out and bought the DVDs for the first season of, of seasons one and two. I went out and bought the DVDs and was watching it. Now, I'm talking about doing a whole blind watch for a show that I've never seen before, but I'm just going off of what people say. And I just remember season one is 13 episodes. I remember I watched it in a day and a half um, because I never thought that a show that's an hour each episode without commercials, um, I would have been that enraptured by. Uh, And then I just uh, eventually I caught up, uh, you know, when the final season um, was finished airing. And I remember it came out on DVD not too long after it finished. Uh, But then I went and I once I completed it, I was like, this show is something um something amazing and 
I every once in a while I watch clips on YouTube um, pretty much all the time. Um, and me this, too. <laughs> and when I do, um, that always puts me back in a mood, and I'm like, you know what? Let me um, let me start it. Let me start again. Um, I'm always whenever I whenever I watch it, I start from I just start from the beginning, um, even if it goes through uh, moments that I'm not um, particularly fond of. Uh, my favorite season is season three. Uh, I think the best season is season four, um, okay. but I think season but um, uh, season two is an is is an unheralded masterpiece, and I'm determined to convince people um, of that. You don't have the rest to me. You don't have the rest of this series without that second season. Um, and I'm glad to hear you say that. I am an evangelist for season two. <laughs> Yes, I've, I've been trying to convince some uh, friends of mine for a while um, about its greatness. Um, and then season five, um, you know, season five, it's that's probably the moment where I'll say, OK, they ran out of steam um, a little bit. Um, I, everything wrapped up. And I think that, you know, there are still great, you know, there are still um, great moments in it. Uh, season five gives me gave me um, my least liked person. Um, in all of the series, in a series where we have uh, Marlo Stanfield, um, he's not yeah. actually my least liked um, individual. Um, it's actually um, Templeton. Um, oh, I'm gonna guess Templeton. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I talk. I, if there was somebody who I wanted to see get what was coming to him, uh, it was him. And I'm not even in. I'm not even in journalism or anything like that. But um, I just, I have a respect for the field. And to yeah. just see someone like that get away, um, yeah. So, so that's my yeah. that that he 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 is my he is my least favorite uh, character um, in in the series. Um, and just real quick, my favorite character. Um, I have two favorite characters: uh, Stringer Bell and uh, Bodie. Those are my two. Um, yeah. Those are my two favorites. Um, so yeah, and that's just kind of the 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 gist. You know, just kind of the gist of how I became and I became a fan of, of this show. And um, every time I watch it, every time I watch it for it, like I said, this is about my fifth or sixth rewatch. And every time I watch it, um, it feels like the first time again. Um, and sometimes I'll still discover um, new things or I'll finally have like, oh, I finally have a perspective on this character that I once didn't like or something like that. And I, it's not too many television uh, series that I think you can do that with. Yeah, absolutely. And same for me. And this is kind of the basis of our podcast. Bailey and I are um, really strong believers in going back to rewatch The Wire because it gets so much richer the more times you see it. And, um, you know, uh, the various people that I have dated over the last six or seven or eight years, I always make them watch The Wire. I, I mean, it's a, it's mandatory. And when I'm re-watching it with them, I always keep a notebook beside me because I like to write down things that I notice. And, and every time there's, there's something new that I see. Um, I want to ask you, though, because it's uh, something that caught my attention your favorite season versus the best season, um, three and four. And can you speak a little bit about how you see those as different, your favorite versus the best? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so what I like about season three is that 
so season three to me is the most entertaining um of the series um it's it's basically the culmination of everything that began um with episode one season one episode one uh the target um all the way up to the final episode of season three mission accomplished um those three seasons kind of act like as this uh one story and i find um season three to be the more the the more the most entertaining um because we get to see we get to see some of the drama um you know the drama between avon and stringer um their their friendship finally breaking down we see after we've seen seasons one and two of people talking about um how do we do something in this how do we do something in this war on drugs um how do the police do something about it and you see uh you see colvin um buddy colvin come up with this uh this this brilliant idea um and i and i find that entertaining to to see season four um i believe it's what I say makes it the best is because it's like it's almost like a a, a reboot in a way or uh, like an origin story because we see how like the elements of this uh, this this drug war drug game kind of get started with the four kids and yeah. we see and it's some serious heavy drama that um, Naaman Michael Dookie and Randy go through um, but it's not the easiest it's not the easiest to watch for me um every time i every time i watch it it's the one that i actually have to take um a break in between like um i i, I started it this week and um i think i'm about at episode eight or nine now um but it, i have to kind of pace myself with it because of all because of the things that you know the things they're going through and you know knowing you know knowing how it turns out and you know, I don't want to season three. I don't want to say season three is well. I guess you could say there was a a smidgen of hope in season three, just because when you see how Hamsterdam works, you see it, you see it works, and you see it makes a difference. And it's something that you hope that uh, in a future Baltimore, someone's taking notice of this and it's like, okay, let's try to do something that reduces crime you know this way but season four um season four almost feels kind of kind of hopeless um of the four of the four boys Naaman is the one that makes it out uh the one who presents himself as most unlikable in the beginning so if there's you know but he's he's the one that makes it out and Naaman, randy and 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 duquan um they're they're still you know they're still stuck there um and michael Sorry, you uh, you said name it twice, but oh, I know I'm sorry. What you mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Michael, uh, Michael, Randy, and uh, Duquan. Um, but yeah, um, I think that four really presents the drama, and really, I think it's the one that hits home, hits the hardest in terms of reminding people of the realism of this is the world that some of these kids have to uh, deal with, and. But I don't find it really. I don't find it entertaining at all. It's a it's a heavy watch. Um, yeah, that's why I say like it's it's brilliantly done and, and so much kudos to those uh, child actors who were just absolutely fantastic in all of their roles. But it's it's hard to watch. It's yeah. um, emotionally fatiguing. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, you certainly need to take breaks. Um, 
on the note of emotionally fatiguing, um, your two favorite characters that you mentioned, both of them um, don't make it to the end of the series. And we will talk about Stringer Bell uh, in just a minute, but tell me what it, what it feels like when your favorite characters um, get killed off. Because my favorite character is Frank Sabaka, and he is only on the show for one season. It was really, really hard for me. Yes, I def- I can definitely understand that. Um, the more I watch season two, the more I really do learn to um, empathize with um, with Frank. Um, but like for example, with with Bodie, um, I in in one of my uh, tweet threads, I mentioned the reason why I I like Bodie as a character is because um, I I've worked in corporate America pretty much since I was in college, and Bodie kind of represents to me what I've seen a lot of people in corporate America do. You know, he started you know he started at the bottom, and you know he learned you know he learned his trade, he worked his way up, um, he got in good with the bosses after. Um, taking care of, of, of another, uh, employee in this case, um, Wallace. Um, and then, you know, he moves up, but he never, he never reaches, he never reaches the top. Um, but he's happy doing it, doing what he does. And he gives his loyalty to the organization until, um, you know, uh, uh, there's a hostile takeover, um, from a, another, uh, a, another company, uh, Marlowe's crew in this case. And, um, he gets put out. Um, and when you look at the start of season four, he uh, his crew is basically the last blockbuster video in town while Marlo's team is oh. Netflix. And um, that's a great analogy. Thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. And um, he he's trying to go through it. And then when um, when he finds out what happened to little Kevin, he's he's finally you know, he's finally fed up with it. And, um, you know, the the bosses don't like when you try to go back on them and uh and and the thing is for a show that you would a show that's a crime drama most people don't think there's probably much of a character envelop- development if you're talking if you're doing it from the view of like the criminals uh for instance and something like i don't know the shield or nypd Long blue order. Yeah, I, I can't say I've never really watched those shows like that, but um, being on broadcast TV, I can kind of understand that. But you see, you see Bodie grow, and um, and the thing is, he's still he's still a drug dealer, he's still a criminal, but um, but you see him grow, and that's that's what I think is great about The Wire is that it has these characters that may do things that you may not necessarily agree with. But it still gives provides them character development and growth, and you kind of you, you see Bodie when he says he's you know he feels old. And you're like, man, he grew up. Like he really like he really grew up. And you know when he doesn't you know he doesn't make it, um, he has his final stand. On, I mean, he goes out on his corner. He doesn't go up in a vacant. Um, but you know to see that um, to see that growth. Um, that's I think that's. You know that you just you begin you understand why you you that your favorite character is Frank Sabaka and when you watch the show you you understand why you know it's like maybe you may not agree you know you're like I probably won't do that but it's like but you know what I do I get it like I get it and you kind of yeah. you want to see people you want to see people escape the game you know they're in the game and you want to see them escape it and you know unfortunately um, unfortunately Bodie is one of many in the show that is not able to escape it. Um, well, and your your point about Bodhi kind of being like um, corporate 
pawn mm-hmm. <laughs> to return the chess scene. Um, I think parallels in a lot of ways the Frank Sabaka storyline. You know, he gives 30 or 40 years to the Union and it evolves past him and he's trying to evolve with it in the way that Bodhi tries to evolve by, you know, he'll do Marlowe's bidding if he has to, just like Frank will do the Greek's bidding if he has to. But then Rotterdam has robots doing all of the work and they both kind of can't, even though they feel old and, and I love that line just like you do, but they're not, aging alongside the game that they're in um and they kind of get axed at the end in the same way as just in any kind of corporate setting there might be layoffs for people that gave 30 years well we see that in season five actually now that i think about it the the uh, newspaper staff people who were there for 20 years get laid off yeah it's amazing how like I always say that, like, in season three, once Marlo's crew comes, Marlo's crew kind of really represents a lot of those changes that um, the characters go through, that the characters have to contend with in the show. Um, Like, you know, talk about the newspapers or what the schools have to deal with. Um, You know, uh, uh, when um, Cuddy gets gets his um, weapon or whatever, and he's like... um, game done change and slim charles says games games the same just got more fierce um all the characters deal with some level of their game um that has like you said evolved and the characters haven't really gotten that their moment to evolve um to evolve with it and it ultimately it leads to um their destruction I think that's a great segue into the episode that we're going to talk about, which is Middle Ground, uh, season three, episode 11, one of absolutely the best episodes in the whole series. Um, Eric, I think you agree with that, right? Absolutely. Well, you probably saw it first. Oh, yeah. It's my, it's, my, it's my favorite of the entire series. And so many iconic scenes and lines, including the balcony scene um, and... Uh, I'm so happy we're going to talk about it and kind of going back to what we were just talking about, about sort of this uh, corporate um, labor economy, capitalist economy. um, You chose this article and you shared it with me, which is uh, from a Marxist theorist, Antonio Gramsci. And uh, it fits really well with what we just talked about. So tell me kind of what led you to that article? What, your um, thoughts are that uh, your time between uh, Gramsci and Middle Ground. Uh, so when I was um, researching, I was just I was trying to find um, when I was searching for just articles on the Middle Ground episode. Mostly, I was coming up with just like a lot of reviews of the episode, and I was trying to find something, um, try to find something deeper. And yeah. when I saw this this um, this article um, for who the bell for whom the bell tolls, the wires stringer bell as uh, tragic intellectual. Uh, it's by uh, Ernest L. Gibson, the third of the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. And he, and in this article, um, Gibson, um, I, I wouldn't have thought that I've been able to, 
uh, tie Stringer Bell to a um, Italian philosopher um, and his and in these theories, but um, it, it shows kind of just the article kind of explains how um, there's a um, when one can't when one is trying to when one is of one world and they're trying to like fit in another um it it's is almost like a uh, like a constant clash um there was one um oh god there was one it's a long it's a long article but there was a there was one there was one segment that i was uh that I was uh reading about something about how um how like the powers of certain sides won't let the individual the intellectual um enter or cross over into like the other like the other sphere um stringer he's this um he grew up in the streets of baltimore he's had a uh spirit you know he's um part of a a a drug crew um and that's that's been his life that's always been his life he wants to get out he wants to get out of that uh he wants to get into a uh a more legitimate sphere um the one of real estate developer and 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 things like yes. that he wants to own pro- he wants to own property enterprises right yep. like even the name of his company being the enterprises right. and just the word enterprise is kind of encapsulating uh, what it means to be in in business in kind of the American dream sense. Um, yeah. If you, if it's okay with you, I did take down a couple passages because you put me onto this um, article, and then I started researching, and it was so interesting. So uh, Antonio Gramsci, who is the basis of the article you shared, his fundamental question is: Are intellectuals an autonomous and independent social group? Or does every social group have its own particular specialized category of intellectuals? And then another passage here um, from a separate article, I'll put all of this in the show notes, but says that uh, all men are potentially intellectuals in the sense of having an intellect and using it, but not all are intellectuals by social function. Intellectuals in the functional sense fall into two groups. First is traditional, and now I'm paraphrasing, traditional, which are the literary, scientific, medicine, law, those sorts of things. And then the second, which are the organic intellectuals, the thinking and organizing element of a particular fundamental social class. These organic intellectuals are distinguished less by their profession, which may be any job characteristic of their class, than by their function in directing the ideas and aspirations of the class to which they organically belong. And I thought that was so fascinating because I think there's a lot of what Gramsci would call the organic intellectuals who are not in any kind of the professional trades, not in academia, not in law, not in medicine, but they are intellectual within their uh, street game, um, which I think we see with Randy. Uh, He's an entrepreneur trying to sell his candy and things like that. Bubbles is an entrepreneur with his Bubbles Depot. Um, Dookie's very smart with the way he can use the computer in class, but these are intellects that don't really translate into a capitalist realm, if that makes sense. And I think Stringer, to your point that you just said a moment ago, tries to translate or tries to cross that threshold from the organic intellectual of the of the drug trade uh which he was very good at um 
and tries to translate it into real estate development, enterprises, B&B, print shop, coffee shop. And it, it doesn't work in the end. You know, we, we see that in middle ground. Yeah, he, um, he, 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 he meets barriers uh, pretty much throughout. Um, you know, he, 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 his, his real estate ventures um, he gets he gets strung up by a um, he gets strung up by a game he doesn't by a game he doesn't know um, he he doesn't know the like how the political realm of it works um, he you know he doesn't understand how things work with these uh, with these contractors and subcontractors Clay Davis Andy Krawcheck and and uh, those people he he doesn't you know he doesn't know. Um, and it's not that he it's not that he couldn't know, um, but he does have a Stringer does have a fatal flaw of thinking of of thinking he knows and he doesn't know he doesn't know enough. He 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 understands like he you know sure he may grasp the concept of it, but uh, ultimately he doesn't know, and that's what allows him right. to get. Uh, to get taken advantage of um, when it, it's, an, it's an arrogance in a way, although I don't think that's exactly the right word, but mm -hmm. it's, it's some kind of um, confidence that isn't necessarily backed up. And um, you were talking to me on Twitter about the balcony scene and you picked up on this great line um, about the games he doesn't understand. So tell everyone what you noticed, because I thought it was great. Absolutely. So um, when he, the this the scene with uh, Avon on the balcony, which is a um, awesome scene, um, they're talking, they're reminiscing, and they're speaking about their um, you know growing up together, and everything. And Avon mentions um, when they were getting chased through a toy store um, when they were kids because Stringer stole a badminton set. And he wanted to know how are we going? How are you going to play badminton? What do you need? Um, what do you need? This net and this racket or whatever? And you don't have a and you don't have a yard. Um, and I don't know how I never again. That's why I rewatch the show all the time because you just sometimes you miss something and then the next time you'll get it. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, this is this is Stringer from a kid. He. He picks up. He he tries to get into a game that he doesn't have all the tools for, um, and that he doesn't understand. But he's gonna he's gonna try, and he's most likely gonna fail. Um, but I I was like, wow, that is a great character revelation. And the minute I saw that, I was like, wow, this is the this is a this is a parable of of the badminton set. And Stringer Bell always goes after games that he doesn't understand and that he's not that he's not equipped for uh you had mentioned you said that you mentioned it was kind of like you said you didn't not quite an arrogance but in a way i kind of understand it because i think we've all kind of had experiences like that where you, you might have caught on to something quick and you're like oh okay you know what i i think i got the handle of this and maybe i'll give it a try and then it's almost like an optimism as yeah. opposed to an arrogance like an optimistic aspiration is maybe the better way to say it. Um, and there's, so I'm so glad you said parable because it does feel that way when they're telling this story of, of the badminton set. 
And it's kind of echoed elsewhere when they're talking about games that Stringer maybe thinks he understands but doesn't. Because when he's talking to Slim Charles and says, you know, we need you to hit Clay Davis. And then Avon says, what did I tell you about playing those away games? And it's a bit of an echo of uh, you don't have a full realistic picture of the game that you're playing when and where you're playing it. And that's a that's another that's another great scene because um, Avon, well, Avon and String Charles, Slim Charles, both know immediately what the consequence would be of assassinating. And Slim Charles specifically says this is some assassination shit. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, no, I don't want to interrupt you, uh, but let's just take a moment to watch that scene. Mm-hmm. Oh. I need you to hit somebody. Who we hit? Clay Davis. The Clay Davis? Downtown Clay Davis? That's supposed to mean something to me, man. That nigga needs to be got. Shit, scream murder ain't no thing. But this here's some assassination shit. I tell you, you getting somebody? You getting him. I ain't asking. Damn, string, I don't know. Nigga, I gotta remind him who the fuck you work for. Hey, uh, I think Slim gonna have to sit this one out, boss. So you finna go hit a state senator now, huh? Yo, you kill a downtown nigga like that, the whole world gonna stand up and take notice. I'm talking about the state police, federals, all of that. You need a day at a jackal type motherfucker basically to do some shit like that, not a rumble tumble nigga like Slim. That nigga took our money, man. I seen it coming. Well, <laughs> he gotta go. Nah, you a fucking businessman. You want to handle it like that. You don't want to get all gangsta wild with it and shit, right? What I tell you about playing them fucking away games? Yeah. They saw your ghetto ass coming from miles away, nigga. You got a fucking beef with them? That shit is on you. Okay. Uh, sorry, I just wanted everyone to hear that because it's a great line. Oh, carry on. Okay. No, oh, no problem. Uh, but you know, Slim Charles and Avon both know immediately what the consequences would be of um of 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 doing something like of doing something like that. They know what it would you know what it would uh partake, and they're gonna bring everybody on them. And um, you know, Stringer because he's essentially throwing a temper tantrum over you know over getting uh played in a game um that he didn't understand you know how many times have we watched on a tv show uh some a hot shot uh pool player or something like that uh thinks they know everything and then they get they get they get taken um for their money in the first match um that's kind of what happened to stringer here um you know with everything and i just want to add i feel so when when he goes to levy and Levy explains oh. to him what being Rainmade is. And oh. I feel, I legit feel terrible for him, despite me everything he's done. Watch, it's heart wrenching for me to watch that, to watch Stringer have this realization because um, there's just something crushing about this 
final revelation that as much as he's tried and as much as he's studied and as much as he's um, code switched and, and Bailey and I had an episode of the podcast about code switching and, and his style of dress of trying to cross over this threshold and it's an uncrossable threshold, which we've also talked about, but he can't uh, like transcend this class barrier, socioeconomic class barrier, I think. And that's what I find really crushing in that scene is when he realizes that. Yeah. When he sits on the, he sits on the bench after Levy walks away and I'm like, man, like, like you're, you're like, he, he's really trying. He's not, he's not trying to, he's not trying to like, you know, half-assed or anything. He's really trying, but really the, trying. the powers, but the powers of that game will not let him, they will, you know, they will not let him play. Um, kind of think about the begin the, the, the first scene of the series, you know, uh, McNulty asked the guy on, you know, when they're talking about Snot Boogie, why, well, why do you, you know, why'd you let him in the game? You know, you got to this America, but you know, th- these people would not let, they wouldn't let Stringer in the, they wouldn't let Stringer in the game. Yeah. Or they'll, it's kind of like you can play, mm-hmm. but it might be your own downfall or even your own death. Like, yeah. and in fact, Stringer's death really. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's really hard to watch that happen to Stringer. I have to say, but Avon does in that in that scene that we just talked about with Slim Charles, Avon does kind of reprimand Stringer and say, you can't play on both sides. You're either on this um, street game side or you're in this business game. And hey, you said you wanted to be a businessman. Go handle it like a businessman. And in fact, they saw you coming. Yeah, I love, That's a I love that. Line. I love that. I love I love that lie. Um Again, because it, like you said, it's really it's hurtful um, because Avon know Avon knows who he is, and he yes. knows he knows the the limits um, to which to which he can go, and he he's reminding Stringer right there is like, look, they saw you, like it's not even it's not even like they they let him they they let him play and then they found out they saw him coming, so they were going to play him. Um, they were going to play him from the start, and Avon really cut, like he really cuts deep. It's like, look, we we know who we are. You done forgot who you were, but they didn't forget yeah. who you were. Yeah, almost like they they saw you and they saw through you. Which yes. uh, McNulty, you know, has this uh, additional encounter with Teresa, the campaign manager, in this episode, Middle Ground, uh, which doesn't go well and and she's just using him not unlike the way that clay davis kind of uses stringer um but what mcmulty had said in in a previous episode is it was like she was looking through me or or saw through me or something along those lines and uh, i think for stringer and mcnulty it's kind of this reminder of feeling not good enough or not accepted into these upper echelons of of society and that uh aligns very well with this article that you shared about um kind of a, a critique of capitalism in a lot of ways yeah. I, I also i love that you brought up bring up mcnulty i love how um the two of them uh the two nemesis um really sort of uh sort of mirror each other this way this season in terms of their um 
their like their goals. Um, they um, the, the the great line from uh, Lester um, when he's trying to tell McNulty about having a life, and he was like, "It's the stuff that happens when you're when you're waiting for moments that never come." Um, yeah. And you know, at the end of the season, uh, Stringer's dead. McNulty does not get his bust like he wanted. Um, Stringer dies. Stringer does not achieve um, does not achieve the success that uh, he wanted. They both um, they both were waiting for moments for never come. And and then um, Avon um, on the balcony. Even Avon reminds Stringer. He's like, well, well, I mean, I know he says remind him, but you know. He'd already given him up at that point, but he's trying to he's trying to um, lower his defenses. He's like, well, you know, he was like, man, you shouldn't um, you know, you need to kick back and relax more. Um, Telling telling Stringer he needs to go have a life. And, you know, Stringer's like, well, I don't take my work too seriously. Um, Him. I I think it's fascinating. He and McNulty, how they were uh, nemesis um, throughout the first uh, three seasons and they share. they share that somewhat um, type of character art in this season. Yes, and the show is so um, brilliant in the way that it reinforces that mirroring. There's a couple um, uh, repeated lines. So when in the first episode, when the case, the you know the state's witness ends up saying like, "Oh, he looked like the guy. It wasn't actually him." And McNulty walks out and says to Stringer, "Nicely done." And in the last episode of the season, after sentencing, Stringer gets to walk, but everyone else is sentenced, and Stringer walks out and says to McNulty, nicely done. And it kind of sets up this, um, as you said, uh, like a mirrored arc of the two of them, and this back and forth, and um, what's, I think, frustrating for all of us as viewers is that we don't really get the the payoff and that's i think why the wire is great but also hard to watch is that the payoff really never comes ever nope. <laughs> in the show um because it's just that's not realism right yeah absolutely like i said we're waiting for we're waiting for moments that never come um, yes and oh, such a good line yeah and um oh man i just had a thought i had a thought i'm sorry i had a thought just now I, I I missed it. I can't remember it right now. That's okay. Uh, if it comes to you, let me know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to ask your initial reaction when you saw Stringer die. What were you thinking? What were you feeling? Um, at first, I was just like, "Wow!" Because I was like, "Wow!" I because there were you know we've we've had we've had characters die. Um, we had we had Wallace die, but you know Wallace wasn't. Wallace wasn't a central character. Um, yeah. I guess the first major, uh, major uh, central character death we had was uh, D'Angelo in season two. But yes. I don't know. But you know what? I think for some reason, at, I I don't think that that got to me as much. I don't know, and I can't explain. I can't explain why. Maybe it's because. Maybe it's because. D'Angelo was, I mean, a lot of characters, when they die, they're trying to get out the game, and D'Angelo was trying to get out the game, but I don't know, there was, I I think that more than anything, I was just really hoping, and maybe it's because the show was kind of telegraphing that with Stringer constantly asking Avon about how D'Angelo's doing, so maybe it's because I kind of didn't see, you know, kind of didn't see it coming, Um, but, you know, when, 
when Brother Muzon comes back to town, you're like, oh my God, wow. So there, you know, what Stringer did back in season two, that ain't that ain't getting let that's not getting let go. And to see yeah. this central character who was trying, and I think it's it's like uh with with uh Colvin and Hamsterdam, you see these two guys trying to uh reform the drug game because they're tired of the senselessness of it. And I was actually like, yo, I want, you know, I mean, Stringer did some shady stuff, definitely, but I want, I wanted him to succeed. I wanted, I wanted that. And, you know, but, you know, his, um, you know, all of his, you know, his, his, his demons and everything were coming, had finally come back in the form of uh, Brother Muzon and Omar. Well, and I think there are a few characters who, are probably doing the dirt, but we want them to succeed. Um, Frank Sabatka. Yeah. I, I feel way about Frank Sabatka. Um, and it's kind of, I guess, puts you in, in the position of not being able to categorize people as a wholly good, wholly bad, other than Templeton. I mean, we hate Templeton, yeah. but, um, I liked what you said about a lot of characters die when they're trying to get out of the game, which I never really realized that, but you're absolutely right. Um, because Wallace was potentially going to go to his grandmother's and then they thought he was soft or, you know, he was like tying up loose ends. Yep. Same with Angelo. Frank Sabaka was just about to talk to a police, um, which is how he ended up dying. Um, I think you're onto something there. I'll have to give it a little bit more thought. Um, I don't know if I don't know if in season four. I don't know if I mean Bodie was going to he was going to roll on Marlo um, Marlo's crew and everything. Yeah. Um, so I don't know for sure if that say he was going to get out, but well, I, w- I would imagine if you're going to roll on like Marlo's crew, you probably are going to have to. You are probably going to have to get out. Um, and maybe so, like resistance, any kind of resistance to the game is yeah. when they die. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I, that's always something I think about too. How um, the game, like I said, the game does not allow pushback. It doesn't allow resistance. It will. The game always, you know, the game always adjusts itself. And you, you know, the only way to the only way to win, honestly, is to get out. Um, that's why you know Marla Daniels told Cedric. Um, the game is rigged, but you cannot lose if you do not play. Yes. Well, and to go back to that initial chess scene, um, the king stay the king. king. Everybody stays who he is. Yep. Um, and everybody stays who he is is a really great um, encapsulation of what Gramsci is critiquing and is, is, is his Marxist, Marxist critique of capitalism is that it doesn't allow anyone to transcend uh, those barriers um, between either traditional intellectual, organic intellectual, whatever it is that, that holds people in, in their certain class. Um, and uh, so maybe the, ch- the chess scene speaks even further to that. Yep, and it, it's, it's amazing to see how the chess scene, um, how that runs all the way through, you know, we always, you know, as everyone stays who he is, you know, uh, you know, unless one of those pawns makes it to the other side of the chessboard, uh, then it gets to be, you know, what is it? I think it said he gets to become king or, or queen. I forget. Uh, um, yeah, the queen. 
and that 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 kind of ends up being Slim Charles in the end, because um, he makes he, yeah. he essentially makes it to the other side, and he's now you know he's now running the you know he's now running the co-op, but you know, D'Angelo told him, pause get you know pause get kept quick, and uh, a queen can get you know a queen can get taken out and uh, you know leave the king you know leave the king unprotected. Um, Stringer was Stringer was the queen, and a I, whenever I read, people say that um, Brother Muzon and Omar were, um, I think they said they were two knights. I can't remember if they said they were the two knights or they were either the two knights or the two bishops. I can't remember which one specific. I thought they said maybe it was the they're the two they're the two bishops that um, that took out the queen. Um, but yeah, um, the the you know Stringer represented that versatile that versatile piece and but you know you can't move everybody has their moves and you can't move you can't do what you aren't supposed you know what you aren't supposed to do queen only has a certain whatever the moves are but the queen can't do everything a pawn can't do everything a bishop or a rook or a knight can't do everything and like, the queen is not invincible no nope. queen is still vulnerable to those other players in uh, what might be considered a, a weak moment, which I guess uh, is what happens to Stringer when he tries to make it to the other side. He, you know, tries to move too far, too fast. Um, and uh, then we get this really, I mean, it's a well done scene, but I found it just like, I was shocked. Like you said, it was, I think, more shocking to see what happened to Stringer than someone like D'Angelo or Frank Sabaka because Stringer was the top of the uh, organization right alongside Avon and it almost that death puts us in the position that McNulty's in uh, we lose out on um, what we think is going to be this resolution to what we've been chasing for three seasons as viewers and especially because you have that moment when they finally after all this time of trying to get Stringer and they finally, and they, and they finally got Stringer on a moment. Stringer's always so careful, careful. And they finally got him um, on that one moment because they got that that um, the trigger fish device or whatever to uh, grab his cell phone number out the air or whatever and catch him in a, mo- a lapse of of uh, a lapse of judgment. Um, you know, and that that that's another thing that goes to show uh, how uh, Stringer st- Stringer's story is uh, pretty tragic. Um, despite his, despite what he's done as a character, uh, it's still a tragic. Um, I love the last line um, of the um, of the article. Uh, now this bell tolling softly for another says to me, "Thou must die." Stringer's bells, death is. I'll make sure I read this right. Didactic. It teaches the viewer, the spectator, the person that whether fictive or real. Tragedy is tragic, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls. Oh. It tolls for thee. Um, and I think that's always just a, a great reminder of what how how great the wire uh, does these you know does these things. Um, they put Stringer in the role of a tragic character, and it and even. Like I said, with his character flaws and everything, his death is a tragedy um, in the, you know, in the like in the literative sense. And I'll still yes. say even I'll still say even 
even in a personal sense, because like I said it does appeal to you emotionally to see him try to try to change. And I'm like, you know, what? I don't fault the man for trying to change. You know, it's just unfortunately, it's just unfortunately the game, the system itself um, will not allow for that. And then, you know, when McNulty goes to his apartment after his death and says, who the fuck was I chasing or, or something along yep. those lines? It's like, yes, um, because there were these other sides to Stringer that even we as viewers don't really see even possibly up until that scene where he's vulnerable and disappointed and his feelings are hurt and he's been rain made and it's really crushing. I find it very difficult to watch that scene. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's just it, it's just so heartbreaking. And then he, they said, then he he goes to Avon, and um, I always say it's it's crazy that you know Stringer lost a quarter of a million dollars, and Avon's just like, well, you know what, you know, we just we just out that money because he knows he just knows the consequences of of going after um, going after that. Um, I just want to touch up real quick on the line um, when he talks tells Stringer about his away game. Um, it actually got me thinking all the way back to um, season one, and I think this might be the earliest example of of Stringer doing something like this. Um, the uh, the hit on Orlando when um, when Kima gets shot, um, yeah. and when they bring when um, they bring you know Stringer has the uh, the duffel bag with the money, and he's you know and um, he's he's explaining to to Avon that he thought that. Um, you know, if Weebay and Sabino could um get the jump on or whatever, then they could they could uh get take out Orlando and get the money. And Avon immediately goes, How is Orlando gonna front this type of money? And it shows uh uh I think Avon fits into that that organic type of uh of intellectual. Um Avon rec- would recognize real quick, um, you know, because he already dealt with Orlando for uh, for money issues um, when he was trying to uh, deal on the side. Um, and I think that's, I think that scene is kind of the first instance of seeing Stringer um, attempt at something um, that may be outside of the, um, outside of the rules of the, of the game to which he belongs. Yes. that That's a good pickup. I, I never caught that before, but I, you're right. And, See, this conversation makes me want to go back and start <laughs> all over again. <laughs> um, Eric, well, I guess we'll wrap up now. I mean, we could talk about this for yeah, forever. But <laughs> it's been so wonderful having you join me and talk about Middle Ground. Um, tell everyone where they can follow your tweets and, and see your threads because you've, you've made some great observations. And we'll put it in the show notes as well. But where can people follow you? Oh, sure. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Deacon, D-E-A-C-O-N, 05-O-C. Um, and right now, um, I'm, I'm in the middle of season four right now. Um, but trust me, you'll trust me, uh, even when I finish this rewatch, um, who knows? It's July sometime later this year. I'll I might be in another rewatch. I always get in a rewatch once I start watching clips on YouTube and um yeah. and so you know, but yep, you can uh follow me along there and um you know, you know, comment. I love discussing I love discussing this show. Um so yeah, you come on, check out my threads and everything. The um the article that you shared and that last line that you read about um for whom the 
bell toll stringer bell it really makes me want to do an episode about naming in the wire uh i think there's probably something to that but um anyway eric thank you so much anytime uh, you want to discuss something you get in touch we'd love to have you back and we'll see everybody next time way down in the hole